a.k.a. to millennials, then fall society. On today's episode, we will be talking about gaming, social media, and gender. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back. Uh, yet again, another episode of A2 Millennials, and we are wrapping up this season with one of my dear friends. Oh, it's me again. Emily, I just said it's me. Can you believe that? <laughs> we just, ten seconds before we started, we talked about this. Um, but yes, uh, Emily Prude, still an overwhelmed master's student, you will recall from the last time I was on. If you don't mm. recall, please watch it. Listen to it. It's a good episode. Absolutely. That was episode four of season one. And and here we are again. This is now the ending of season two. Oh. We've come so far. <laughs> I know so you far. haven't necessarily been involved, um, but, but our listeners will know that we've been talking about uh, limits and limitations this season. And I've sort of given the guests this time, I feel like a little bit more free reign, mm. more of a what, what do you take from this? And sort of everyone has kind of picked out areas of of sort of limits and limitations and yeah we're just gonna chat about that today yeah i was really interested when you brought up the idea about audiences and autonomy Mm. because i think as i mean as as two queer people Mm -hmm. there has often not been a space for us as an audience or not also not content that we necessarily wanted to engage with so i think in this sort of ever-expanding media multiverses that we're getting now Mm. where there are a lot more opportunities for unheard voices to sort of finally get their five minutes. Um, There's just some really interesting um, engagement. Yeah, I mean, I think you do kind of hit the nail on the head where a lot of what I was thinking of kind of stems from the underrepresented voices, minorities, um, Mm. and the oppressed. Um, That's usually a hand-in-hand thing. Not having the space to engage with the media that either represents them or that they actively enjoy. Mm. Because I I think that's kind of a, a core tenet of our existence, isn't it? To, to be able to connect with people in, in a way that we feel understood, uh, that we feel seen and that we feel listened to. Yeah, I think you're right. And increasingly with, I think that we are now surrounded by uh, all, all of these streaming services. And I know at least personally, I've been inside watching a lot of TV recently. Ooh, yeah. um, there is an, in, there, you know, there is a clear increase in demand for finally hearing marginalized stories. Mm-hmm. I would say whether that mm-hmm. is about individuals, whether that's about history, whether that's about experiences, whether it's just bringing those voices into a new context or a familiar context. There is a clear demand for it. But I think the way that uh, uh, sort of these other bigger conglomerates are going about it is kind of picking out token elements you know, and and avoiding intersectionality. And it's the same as it has always been done, is oversimplifications, wrapping things up, making things simple. I do find TikTok is a really interesting kind of boiling point of that as creators have their own autonomy over their own content and kind of, in a way, their audience. So you end up with a much more 
diverse group of people with mm-hmm. sort of diverse different um, experiences going on there, yet still they can be limited to 15 seconds. Um, we talked a little bit about shadow banning um, mm. in the episode with Marion Rue, and, and it is progress, two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. I, I think, I mean, the internet was a watershed moment for, for uh, I guess, community connectivity. Um, and mm. being able to to interact with, learn from, and connect with people of a similar experience, uh, life experience from around the world, um, and then to take that further to create your own content that actively reflects that life experience. Um, particularly, YouTube was a massive shift in mm. that um, kind of culture, and then. TikTok's gone even further because we're, we're at a point where most people, uh, you know, 95% of particularly the Western world or the global north have their own smartphone. So they can do whatever they want, uh, create their own content and have access to TikTok and, and other kind of content creation all on their phones they don't need to learn all these other skills of or or need all the other equipment of having a camera being able to edit needing the right lighting you know you can kind of just do whatever you want there's really interesting that there can almost be no consideration of an audience in those cases that you don't have to be appealing to funders or to a larger company whose ideas mm-hmm. maybe don't line up with that individuals it is sort of you have power over that um, in a way that was kind of unprecedented. Yeah, I mean, most media stems from the need to uh, broadcast it in some way to an audience, whereas Mm. particularly TikTok or any of the kind of social media of the kind of smartphone application format, uh, you don't need an audience because you can you can use it as a kind of online diary um, or mm. journal. Um, and then sometimes the audience comes to you. A friend of mine uh, recently made a baking TikTok of they, they were baking a, a cake. Again, I didn't grow up in this country, but um, that's quite like a, a common cake that you would make in like primary school slash high school home ec. And it, mm. it got like over 2 million views. Um, oh my and like, gosh. <laughs> it's that kind of viral viewership that happens on TikTok. So you don't get the kind of consistent audience, which is a difficult one. Um, but I think for most people, particularly the marginalized, that kind of creation of content isn't for an audience. It's about the that personal autonomy yeah or even just sharing something that you think i think you're right in that kind of connecting up with communities you're maybe sharing something because you want um your direct idea to be relatable and and linked to others who would know that experience because that's interesting of the the baking of something that everyone knows in home ec, or at least from this country there's then you know there is a community of oh well i made that i know what yeah. that is i'll like yeah. that i'll engage or wow what is this i've never heard of it this is hilarious or informative i'll engage and sort of on both those levels you've got an audience there though there's a sort of very different audiences themselves mm. i thought it was really interesting that 
also talking about kind of relatability that you brought up um, in our notes that I think relatability is so important for engagement. I think just in general, um, those ideas that we sort of seek connection and we seek ourselves, uh, how the human mind, you know, is sort of trained to see faces mm-hmm. and, and even in, you know, a global panorama, um <laughs> and we all are wearing masks, people can still recognize faces. Yes. Um, yeah. Which is kind of incredible. So yeah, you know, you've got, you've done some incredible photography work and continue to do some brilliant portraiture. Thank you. Um, but yes, I, I do occasionally take photographs. I'm currently working on what's now become, because of COVID, a self-portraiture photography project which originally like I say originally was taking pictures of other people and I was funnily enough discussing the relationship of of photography and personal empowerment Mm. Um, but I think it's even more applicable to self-portraiture because I am being the driving force in the creative process completely Mm -hmm. you know it's it's not just Originally, I was hoping to kind of have conversations with the people I was taking photos of, trying to understand their interests, favorite colors, uh, aesthetics. Mm. That was the word, aesthetics. Um, and, and kind of come to a creative conclusion together. And it would be a kind of, a kind of conversation. Um, but now I don't have to do that because I'm, I'm doing that internally. I'm having that conversation with myself. I'm thinking, mm. what what are the kinds of things that I want to see from my own self empowerment and my own autonomy that I can I can use to actively and positively represent myself? It's about the trans experience, blah blah blah. Um, but yeah, like how do how do I kind of use this photography to positively represent myself as a trans person, which I think. Uh, is really interesting. Yeah, I I would agree with you because I think not only is that an experience which some individuals find it very dis- difficult to grasp, sadly. Mm. Uh, I think also there is there is sort of elements of I don't want to be sort of speaking for you, but I think elements of the trans experience is about trying to sort of find find yourself and find Absolutely. that relatable human being i don't want to say character because i think it isn't a character but you sort of have to push through the stigma and you know unlearn the biases and and kind of to to figure out where that sort of human core of of the individual with the story is and i think photography as a as an art form it, you know it is a lens there are the audience behind it but there's also like the auteur and then there's also the muse and <laughs> you know there's all of these power structures i think particularly within photography of of all calibers and um disciplines yes i think that as i'm realizing through this self-portraiture project is that i'm having to kind of be all of those things because i'm being mm. i'm being my own photographer, I am being the muse, I'm being the audience as well, because I'm having to try mm-hmm. and interpret how other people may see myself, whilst mm-hmm. also trying to come to terms with how I'm seeing myself. 
um, which is a very complex meta relationship between creativity and subject. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there, and and I think that's why sort of portraiture, in particular, out of photography, I think is held sort of in this, you know, on a pedestal a little mm. bit because there is sort of something about the self and and the exploration of the self, whether that is through others or not. I do feel that because portraiture is is sort of about capturing, you know, a story, an idea, a face. Uh, an individual, a moment, there can be so much to it which is chosen by the individual who's, you know, who's framing it, who's lighting it, who's pressing the shutter, you mm -hmm. know, all of all of that sort of has its own motivations behind it. Uh, to not, not to try and sound a bit too pretentious about <laughs> photography, but I think you're you're right about talking about sort of power there because you you know, in a way, you're sort of giving yourself the power. Yeah. And, you know, where does that power come from? Is this an infinite source of power? Uh, that I, I think it is really interesting, you know, not only the choice to, yes, I will, <clears throat> I will treat myself as the subject and the lens and the focus of what I will be doing, but also of exploring that and also finding the person. Um, you know, I'm really excited to see what you make but I also think that speaks a lot more for sort of the 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 place that we all kind of are in our minds at the moment of that kind of self-exploration of our of our age of the time of you know the year that we're in I think is a really great moment to be doing that um I I think you you kind of explain that really well uh I I'm I'm excited to see what the rest of my photos turn out like I'm I'm currently in photo editing Photoshop hell um oh, no. so I'm excited to see what they turn out like but I'm I'm also excited to see what other people um create in the future because I think that mm. we can't comprehend where we're going to go from here in terms of the tools that we give to people to create content yep. um but I'm extremely excited to see that happen. I think a lot of art forms explore that sort of self and and I don't want to say auteurship because it's it's really not. I think the you know being the creator and the subject is sort of a very specific place to be in that we don't often get with with art and media mm -hmm. that you are often either the the audience or you are either the part of the subject or or you know whatever I think documentary is a bit difficult because you know you, you even if you are the subject and the creator you, there is still third party elements and editing which can sort of yeah. change what you thought you're involved with when as I think gaming is a really interesting place because you are the audience but you are also often the the you know the consumer and the creator because you're making your own stories um yeah you you end up in this in this really strange middle ground because obviously like we're not making the games that we're playing but we are in a sense making the stories of the games we're playing um we're we're creating our own characters both in game usually uh, or often 
but also in our heads. Um, we're thinking about mm. in in games that have you know a narrative and and character creation. We we make a narrative and we think. Um, oh, I'm going to wear these clothes today, or oh, I want to look like mm. this, and that's because of certain factors that I want to put in in into my game. Um, so you have there's so much power in that um, because you you get to usually um, you have a lot more uh, of an expansive, uh, I guess body and clothing modification library. Um, I know that my wardrobe is big, but not as big as like <laughs> Animal Crossing. You know, like <laughs> yeah. there's so many clothes um, and you can wear whatever you want in at any given point in your game um, as long as you have the bells for it. Um, mm. Which, yeah, I think is is really empowering. And there is an understanding as well in, you know, Nintendo having that huge library of clothing as well as access to online where mm -hmm. anyone can design clothes anywhere. Yeah. Um, there's like an understanding that there is a demand for this and that this is what people want. I think especially in a game like Animal Crossing, which is about fulfilling dreams yes. in a way. It, uh, I mean, this year, or particularly last year, the whole mm. game was an escape. It came out in March, at the beginning <laughs> of the, the the UK lockdown. Yeah. Um, you you literally get on a plane and go, and to, a go to a deserted island. island. <laughs> the, the, yeah. I spent. I mean, I'm currently looking at upwards of. 560 or something hours I'm definitely close to 600 um, oh my god and I think most of that was between like March and July I kind of dipped yeah. towards August but I still have played just about every day since the 20th of March um, and that's because of the escape the opportunity to create my own personal avatar redesign an island um you know interact with animal creatures that are really cute and aren't yeah. real people um <laughs> yeah that, that can sort of never hate you exactly. and even if you ignore them and don't talk to them you know They're nothing like, really oh, changes hi, it's been so long since we've spoken i'm trying to get a villager off my island um yeah, and she's still yeah, not left. Whack him with nets. Yeah, I know. It's she came to my island before Christmas, um, and it's now mid February um, at the time of recording, and she's still not gone. Um, <laughs> Don't let them know when we record this. Oh, sorry. Yes. Um, no, it's fine. Um, and and I think there is something in because even. You mentioned in games where you create avatars, I think even in games where you don't, that that narrative of, oh, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I think, you know, Minecraft, very telling that people, you know, over the years have used it as a way to tell stories mm -hmm. and to mm -hmm. come up with original characters because it it doesn't have a narrative. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it does and it doesn't. It definitely didn't for a long time. 
Um, and they then they brought in the option of creating and adding in your own skins into the game, which again sort of brings a whole whole new world of exploration, whether that's putting on a costume, whether that's disguising yourself, whether that's making a reference to something you enjoy or creating your own unique character. Mm-hmm. There, It's kind of endless because it is purely moving pixels of colors around yeah. in the shape of a person absolutely or of the idea of a person it's entirely square you know you're you're already sort of such a stretch of the imagination um and then again i think about a game or the game series um saints row mm-hmm. and how much how much sort of power and ability and just absolutely insane a lot of those sliders were that you often ended up you know i think because saints row is such a crazy game you ended up with these absolutely just nonsensical looking characters because there was kind of so much freedom and sort of power in that but but creators often made to fit the game i think in the same way that the animal crossing community has sort of been and stayed so wholesome because it matches the the sort of the game that it's contained within yeah absolutely and i mean i think we're i realized that this wasn't even in our notes we forgot the biggest uh character creation uh game like of all time the sims Um, oh my gosh we did (laughs) we totally didn't mention the sims and the fact that like those sliders are also insane i spent quite a while Mm. trying to create um sims because i think that's better i hate the building in sims um because i get really stressed out about the walls (laughs) and i could never be an architect um i'll stick to like fashion um but you know we the sims has so much expanse um of character customization and then in the sims 4 they'd updated so that uh they 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 were inclusive of uh trans characters so you could you could Mm. have options of standing up to pee whether you could get pregnant or get others pregnant and like all of those kinds of things without even mentioning um you know aspects of particularly genitalia it was just a very clear set out what kind of thing what animation do you want your sim to do when they go to the toilet you know like um and it's that kind of subtlety that i think is a really nice spot to be in um nintendo did the same thing with particularly animal crossing they've recently announced that they're doing it with splatoon 3 as well Mm. is changing from picking your gender to picking your style um just a simple word change has so much power in it um to to be more recognized and and you know i think as as studiers of or or as queer people who have existed post you know judith butler and Mm -hmm. have read that kind of work we we are so familiar with the idea of gender as a performance Mm -hmm. um you know, even though we've read the dense text and we've, you know, studied that kind of stuff. Um, again, we go over this with Marion Rue. Um, but that then when we, we come to something like gaming, there, you know, people who come to video games aren't necessarily going to be, oh, well, 
you know, genders are performance. So naturally, changing the wording to style makes total... You know what I mean? There is right, not yeah. that literacy behind it. Yet there is still the core understanding of c clothing as style. You know, the, the theory is working in practice, even without that huge bulk of work and yes. knowledge and having to reading yeah. read into it um and i you know i think it shows the power of their work but also that the concepts you know and the way that it works is functioning and true and real um and more often than not you know people come to play games to look cool or how they want to look you know i don't think there are really people that go into games unironically being like yes i'm gonna be exactly the way i am yeah you I, know the, because it is an opportunity to explore exactly it's it's an exploration um and uh, and an escape i know that uh before i uh before i had come out as trans uh, before i even understood or knew what that meant for me um mm. a lot of the time playing games it was particularly you know things like pokemon i was a massive still am a massive pokemon nerd um picking the like girl pokemon trainer has like the, it, it so much uh, freedom to it just to be able to do mm. that and you know th the fact that i didn't kind of pick up on that should have made uh, it should have been quite obvious to me um <laughs> that gender was mm. something i should have been thinking about but alas um i think it's it's just so empowering um and i think as well um the escape element of that we in our in our friend group chats get pick crews all the time and oh, the fact that i yeah. don't make pick crews that look like me at all i make ones that look absolutely nothing like me um mm. because that's it's a form of escape to be able to yeah. to embody something that you admire think is cool think is really exciting um is is just brilliant Absolutely. And um, I do think it's really interesting, especially because I know, you know, when the pit crew comes in, drop everything, everyone's got to make their <laughs> exactly. own version. Um, you know, which is just very, very sort of funny and cute that everyone plays along. And, and yeah, I think I will often tend to try and make myself um, as I see myself, mm. because I think, again, it is an exploration of what do I see? Mm -hmm. Sorry, what do I see when I look at myself? Um, because I think for a while, in some ways, I've been unhappy. And, and you're right, there is there is an exploration. Because, you know, we can't all go out and just try on random clothes. You know, we can't all go out and entirely change, you know, our gender in the mirror or, or anything like this. And I think these approximations of games and... I think we should maybe explain Pit Crew is a site where artists can upload um, like avatar creators and in that with different drawing and art styles you can create little avatars of yourself mm. um, and, and so it's about those kind of infinite, near infinite options created by people who are invested and who are interested you know a lot of the artists on there are queer and understand mm -hmm. that queer people are coming here to make these escapists and explorational 
avatars for yourselves or versions of yourselves. Um, you know, it's not quite the Mulan staring into the mirror, <laughs> you know, who is this person I see, but it's more about what is it that I could see, I think. Yeah, I think that it's about the potential. Um, and the, the, I think the could is really interesting um, because the, it, it, it's, def, it's a step for people to be able to think about these things more. Um, I, I wish more people did think about not, not necessarily their, their gender identity, but gender expression. It's so exciting. Mm. There's so much opportunity for creativity and color and um, exciting personal expression that people just don't think about um, unless they're given the opportunity to think about. Um, which is why avatar creation, in particularly video games, which has like a massive uh, audience, is so brilliant. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think as well with games, you're you are unintentionally placed in a body. Yes. There are very few games, I would say, that don't have some kind of creature that functions in the middle. You know, there are some very abstract games. Um, you know, that can do some brilliant stuff. Or even just Thomas was not alone. You play as like a red cube. Mm. Um, and there's a narrator and there's other cubes of different colours. But, the, you know, there is a story and there are voices and there are musics and there are sounds and that ties to a character. So even though there is no body, I think you're still placed in in something which, in one way or another, will be gendered, will be... You know, we'll have a name which has got genders. You know, will be a color which is gendered. All, all these kind of elements mm -hmm. um, to it. There's sort of no avoiding that. I think for gaming, because you know, our monkey brains sort of see. You know, problem solving is often from the place of a body doing something. Yeah, because we, we um, put ourselves in it. Um, mm. We 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 imagine that that where the where that red cube that we're doing that thing. So, uh, oh, usually, sometimes we we have the ability to distance ourselves, but usually we're thinking, oh, that's me playing this mm. game or doing this thing. Um, so we embody ourselves in our games. And, and even just, um, you know, tutorials, controllers, that they are like, you know, press W, A, S, and D to move around. And then the character moves around, you know, you press this and you will move. You press, therefore you move. You know, there's that kind of, you are in control. So in a way, yeah, how could you not become that character, that square, that Sims, that whatever, mm -hmm. if you, you know, if you are not in control? Um, and I think that's somewhere where cinema can sort of place you as an audience in that position and make you think. But I think... Um, that's where I struggle because I'm not great with horror films. I absolutely cannot engage with horror games at all Ooh, yeah. because that it is then my choice. It is then my movements. I am then put in that whatever horrific yes. situation and I cannot engage. You know, I, I just can't. Um, and so there is something in that, that that the autonomy for games, you know, you are so sort of 
brought into the world. We sort of mentioned cyberpunk um, in in a little bit of our kind of pre-show chats, and mm-hmm. there is sort of something wonderful because it has really it really stepped up its game in the character creation and, and that was then a big feature when it came out but of course as as most will know cyberpunk was incredibly buggy when it came out <laughs> and these elements came into character creation so there would be moments where you would be looking at a mirror in game and then suddenly all your clothes came off um or even just elements of being able to control the size of your genitals you know there's there's yeah. sort of the there, there is a power and also, you know, uh, something odd. I think in that relationship there. Yeah, I mean, is there, is there a time where we're being given too much power, um, <laughs> which, which I wouldn't usually say, especially in a video game context. But like, I don't know how Cyberpunk um, got released. Uh, when it was particularly when it was that buggy um because that you feel like their core elements i'm complaining about video game design and completely going off topic um no go for but it. i i don't get how you you make a game you you uh you quality test uh you you go through debugging you go through all of these processes and you still end up with a game that has bugs and just is yeah. so janky. Um, you know, there are games on like the PS3 that work better than this game. Um, but but then I guess it's, you know, the, the company had so much hype to live up to yeah. and they'd been making probably only the idea of this game for a very long time. True. Um. I think I think it is interesting that like Keanu Reeves was a big part of it and ended up, you know, and nobody was entirely sure as to what extent. And then it turns out that I guess we can spoil elements of cyberpunk on here. Spoilers ahead if you're not interested. Um, but the, the character that Keanu Reeves plays ends up inside your head and also kind of part of you. Right. And... And so there's also different levels of, well, it's Keanu Reeves playing Johnny Silverhands, who is then inside your character's head, who you are playing. Yeah. You know, is that the sort of seven degrees of separation to Keanu Reeves um, uh, that, I th- that I think is really interesting there, that you're sort of right, there's almost too much, there's kind of too much going on because they tried to be hugely explorative and they tried to be you know well we'll give you all these options and at the same time not making a full and finished game yeah or a full game but maybe not a finished game and so then that detracts from those really sort of i don't know they kind of it kind of feels a bit modern to be like you can do anything with your physicality yeah i i don't even know what else I could possibly say about this game that that I don't think I have anything Are you just so done? I don't even know if I've got anything positive to say about this game. Um, yeah. Yeah, it it was a game that was released. That's it. <laughs> I I think uh, another game that is interesting in terms of avatars that I'm not sure if you've played I played a lot of a while ago is a game called Rust wherein there is no character creation 
but you are assigned a a gender, a race, and a gentle size based <laughs> off of your Steam code ID. Oh wow! So you have no choice, and it is almost random. Oh, interesting. Um, but because everyone is given random, there is sort of a universal acceptance of it. Sure. If that makes sense. So I know when I first joined the game, <laughs> I I was a man of color, um, and it was sort of a bizarre situation to be in. That I don't think there is directly the same structural powers which enforce racism inside the game itself if that makes sense but there were definitely people who would assume on what my avatar looks like of who i was so when suddenly this young scottish voice came out of the characters you know there was there was (laughs) there was a lot of sort of uncertainty Mm -hmm. around who that character was um but there was also then, because nobody had those options, there was an understanding of it. I think, you know, you, you get to difficult points where you have games like The Sims, where your Sims are interacting with the Sims that are just within the game mm-hmm. that sort of look like normal generic, you know, and then these incredibly detailed or very bizarre looking <laughs> other people show up and you get that weird kind of dissonance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, between characters, I I think that as well, you you kind of touched on the 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 lack of power and choice in that too, because you if 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 you're I'm going to take Pokemon as an example. Um, yeah, go for it. The the first couple of Pokemon games, um, you could only play as a boy Pokemon trainer and you know for the most part um or he does look white but I assume that in in the context of Pokemon being a Japanese game there's the assumption that he's technically Japanese but um Mm. you know like you're playing you know to as as a very specific character um without any choice in that um and i think that's interesting to kind of play that on the flip side of kind of reversing those power dynamics a little for example if you are um white and you can only play as a character of color or if you're a man and you can only play as a girl take you know something like tomb raider obviously doesn't have customization mm-hmm. but like you're playing as that character um i th- i think that that needs to be done more often obviously as well for the representation of the characters but i think perhaps most importantly for audiences to understand in a way what it's like to not have that choice um Mm. you know there was the the massive complaints about black panther when it came out that oh there was only like two white characters i'm like that's a good thing because this film wasn't about white people you know um Mm -hmm. or like making a show that has like one straight person um which I don't think has that ever been done. 
um, technically oh, queer eye, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, by technicality. By technicality, queer eye. But, you know, like, mm-hmm. seeing yourself represented is, as I said at the beginning, a core element of the human experience. Yep. And, and even again, you know, to circle back to Animal Crossing, because we've all played far too much of it, there was a call for more inclusive hairstyles. Yes. And that got delivered. And it got delivered, yeah. You know, it, 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 it was brought and, and people loved it. And then, then there was sort of debates in certain areas of the internet, mostly Twitter, about space buns, but what actually were they? Yes. And is it this hairstyle? Is it that hairstyle? Um, and always Nintendo never really said anything. No, of course not. But I think, <laughs> I think you know, part of the arguments there were, while we have been trying to get more inclusive hairstyles, we've finally got them, please let me enjoy them. You know, there's sort of elements of appropriation, but then also there, there was no set, this hairstyle means this, or this hairstyle has this heritage behind it. it it's kind of ambiguous in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because also it's like blobby Animal Crossing hair. You know, so so there's sort of a real difficulty in saying that this hair means that because it is so removed from its context or its culture or the meaning behind it. Yeah. I th- that that these yeah, these debates are really difficult. Hmm. I th- I think uh Splatoon I we're talking a lot about Nintendo just because that's my favorite. Um uh a game like Splatoon there squid and uh squid human hybrid people things yeah they're not even and their hair is just tentacles so there isn't even a kind of racialized element to hair Mm -hmm. you have a choice of skin color which is great um uh but you know you could you completely cut out any opportunity for that kind of uh discourse to take place yeah which i guess both has good and bad elements i think it's a positive thing just because you know it's hair but i think it is also important to understand what that could possibly mean um yeah yeah. And, and i guess at the end of the day splatoon is is sort of a fighter shooter so arguably the core focus isn't about sort of one's character but I think in games like maybe Animal Crossing or The Sims, where you are to be investing in those characters, then yes, True. having those options. I mean, The Sims, the most recent update was about um, skin colors mm-hmm. and that you can add undertones and, and overtones and warmer and cooler things. It's um, it, it was very much, we've heard what you've asked for. This is, this is what we're going to try and do. Mm-hmm. And I think there were still problems and it was still buggy and, do you know what I mean, delivery and, and whatever, whatever. Um, but it was a real interesting, you know, you have asked for it and you have been asking for it. We will deliver it to you. And I think because probably a lot of people are playing games because of the pandemic, um, companies have realized there is worth in investing in audiences that have that demand. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's not even just, uh visually uh what you want your character or your avatar to look like um 
I think that there were a lot of demands for, uh, I can't remember the specific game, but a lot of games have been doing it recently, is uh, introducing uh, colorblind patches uh, for uh, accessibility um, and making sure that your game can be played in like a, a colorblind mode, if you will, um, so that if, if mm. you uh, are colorblind, red, green, or, or uh whatever you you have the option to turn that on to see better mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think that yeah. you'd think it's it's not something i'd ever re- uh, thought about too much i i think it was i saw the last of us part two had done it um and i thought why didn't i realize that this was such a perfect thing to do um that makes sense mm-hmm. and you know is, is inclusive but you know, it's so much more than just what we want ourselves to look like. It's about the relationship to how we yeah. play the games and all of these different things. And you're right, it's that kind of widening of accessibility which games are able to do because once it has come out, you can update yes. it. You know, you can have forums where you're listening to an audience. You can have places where... It is specifically designed to, okay, put in your requests here and we'll try and make it. Um, a game that I really enjoy has just is just celebrating its like third year anniversary of being fully released. And so it had a bunch of different fun extra things and there's little extra missions. And there's like a little joke of like the in-game bar has finally got a union to so free beers or whatever. <laughs> you know, there's some good little cute moments like that. But also I think it's an understanding of how important that the the community has been not only to continuing to engage with the game but also of growing the community and of allowing future people to buy the game because the players of the game are really good a lot of it's multiplayer mm-hmm. so it's it's actually some of the best player bases i have played with right. some of the least toxic environments um because there's an understanding that the people that play this game really love this game and there are customization elements but you are very much limited to male body types right um you know which is part of the game's aesthetic you know there is a reason behind it but it is also still structured in gender stereotypes of why that would be right um, I see. And and so it's an interesting one of them understanding of adding the goofy hats and mustaches and beards and all the funny outfits and all this stuff, mm-hmm. but also still being held back in ways of, oh, well, we don't want... It's not like we don't want women in the game, but there's also a bit of like, well, why would we have women in this situation? Right. Yes, I see. Um, so, mm. you know, there's sort of double, double-edged double sword there. Mm. I think the, the, the conversation about... Uh, a community space is really interesting too, though thinking about uh, the ways in which audiences and fans and players can communicate with each other um, and and have that voice and autonomy uh, in a kind of unified and diverse way, um, I think is incredibly important. Um, and I, I think that more developers, filmmakers, artists need to get behind that. Not necessarily to kind of uh, have their content dictated by 
by a, a mass audience. Um, but I think to kind of, in a sense, democratize the creation of content. Yeah, I, it's such a shame the way that marginalized people get pushed out of these spaces when it either has no bearing on, you know, the, the gameplay itself, the skill level mm. that you have, or, you know, people are just, um, people are, people are just silly. Um, <laughs> but that, it's, it's how people behave. How do you behave like that? Well, I guess it's when you're, you're given this, you know, autonomy and power that you're maybe used to, and suddenly you're in a new online environment. I think there are elements where, you know, if this is a new autonomy and power that you're coming to, you will be, you know, you will be getting used to, you know, there will be an enjoyment of this new power mm. and there will be, you know, a wow, okay, I can do this. When as if you're used to always being the protagonist in your life, there will be elements of, oh, well, why, why can you suddenly enjoy this? You know, why are you suddenly trying to take away from me? I think that's the biggest argument that I don't understand is giving other people rights takes away from mine. Yes. You know, and it doesn't, it just gives more for all. Mm -hmm. um, in the same way that adding more hairstyles to the game doesn't take away anyone else's hairstyles. It's also, no, you can't use those hairstyles. It's a game. You can do anything you want with anything. Mm -hmm. You know, this is your experience. You should be able to explore in the same way of, you know, if you're online and you're wanting to enjoy yourself, I don't see why people can't just enjoy themselves. But then there are those who enjoy the suffering of others. True. Yes. Yeah. Some people are just mean. And I guess this ties in a bit more to the social media because I think mm -hmm. we both have quite curated social media presences I think of all of our friend group, you and I probably have the most, well, I'll use the word curated because that's what it is. Mm. Um, my parents always made me very aware as a kid of this will be online forever yes. and you maybe don't want that. And I think I was always very embarrassed about different elements of myself. So it, it just never did go online or, or the photos were never taken or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of our generation are coming to terms with this stuff has gone up and it no longer vibes with us shall we say yeah i think that it's important to have a kind of an online responsibility because mm. obviously there are all of the other things that impacts potentially employment you know whether uh you get cancelled which is <laughs> rubbish but you know like it is important to think about the things that you are posting and creating and curating but yeah, yeah uh, I definitely find that social media has, I, I, I find my own empowerment in that. I've definitely become a lot more personally open because of social media, particularly Twitter, um, especially because that's where I most actively engage in politics as well. It means that I've become a lot more vocal and talk about a lot of my own personal experiences in a political context, I I have the opportunity to do that. And that's great. That is where you've 
being able to find that voice that has also gotten ground. I think especially with your your political Twitter, you do some really great threads, but also you're starting to get a really good following. Mm-hmm. I think that in a way that Twitter still has those sort of active followers things in the way that other platforms or newer platforms like TikTok don't. So there is what you sort of said at the start, that kind of those different platforms give different people different voices at different times. Yes. And so at that point, is that still representation? You know, if it's if you're only getting little tiny chunks of all these different people you know is that still voices being heard yeah and i mean that is the difficult spot to be in particularly when uh, it was conversations that i have had in a kind of campaigning context is is trying to engage with as many people as possible unfortunately means trying to be on almost every single platform um yeah. uh, if if you want all of your age groups if you want all of your marginalized groups trying to engage in 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 the different sections and and spheres uh it's a lot of work um i i know that i i don't use facebook anymore i use messenger mm. but i don't use facebook anymore i barely post on instagram i'm fairly active on twitter and I only scroll through TikTok. I don't make TikToks, thank God, because um, they'd be terrible. <laughs> hey, um, hey. But you know, like I, I can't imagine trying to be uh, as engaging as an possible. Influencer. Or I mean, or an influencer, God forbid. Um, you know, <laughs> like that. That takes a lot of work. You got to do a lot mm. to get all these people to listen to you um or you just throw money at companies and then they kind of do the opposite of shadow banning where like it's the only yeah. thing that comes up um but you know it, it's it's a difficult spot to be in and maybe to sort of bring the conversation to our more hopeful area i think you know you you uh, you would be an expert of certain social medias in that there are platforms that you have used a lot and for a long time. Mm-hmm. Do you maybe have an idea of, you know, what could make a platform particularly good? Or, or you know, is there like a an idea that you have thought of, of, oh, if only this was changed, it would be more accessible, easier or, or anything like that? Yeah, I think that's interesting. I, I think just about every platform I use has its own problems i i wouldn't say i'm an expert but thank you for that um assessment um yeah i mean i think the big thing is that people are going to engage with the people they want to engage with and that i hope never changes um and Mm -hmm. i think that i can only hope that people have uh, uh, more power um, to do so um, in the right contexts. Um, I also hope that social media platforms uh, work harder at stamping out uh, it's particularly things like fascism and hate speech and false fake news um, mm. but all of those kinds of things obviously have a very detrimental impact um, and not giving that a voice 
uh, or any air, uh, airtime oxygen smothers it and cuts it out completely so people don't engage with that. And I really hope that that's something that platforms are able to, or that, that actively work on in the future, because they can do mm-hmm. it and they did do it, particularly with Trump getting banned from Twitter. I'm pretty sure they banned his Facebook yeah. page as well. Um, that's exciting. Um, and I can only hope that that continues to happen. I would I would agree with that. I think there are some platforms which have allowed various different groups of toxic sort of information to form in following, you know, to try and get the most clicks in, mm-hmm. in following ideas of... I mean, clickbait and and retention, uh, audience, you know, viewer retention and things like that. Um, Sorry. There are moments which we can be just drawn into how horrible an Mm -hmm. image is. Um, And I think there should be an understanding by the social media platforms that run that, that this is problematic and that it should not be encouraged. Um you know more more policing less policing it it is something that um on the oh god what episode in the episode where i talk with marty he he brings up boundaries and sort of about reassessing and and reestablishing new boundaries um i think that comes with limits and limitations that you know we entered a world where everything was limitless and anyone could see anything at any time and it has just become horrible mm-hmm. you know i i still remember the chatbot that was it i think google put onto twitter maybe twitter put onto twitter not entirely sure and and within hours it was spewing back some of the most toxic things possible you know people did not only intentionally give it the worst but it it picked up and absorbed and learned the worst and i would really hate for that to be the legacy of social medias especially in the way that i would use my personal one is a lot about just like sharing what i'm up to in a way that i think facebook wanted that to be an idea but i have a lot more control over it on instagram um, and and an idea and aesthetic on there. Um, in the same way, you know, with the company, we we want to have an Instagram because we also want to share what we're doing mm-hmm. when we do it. It's quite fun and exciting. Um, I would I would hate that. You know, on that same platform where I'm doing stuff that I enjoy that I like, there is also these toxic and malicious and dangerous things that people can eventually link to. Um, yeah. And I would love for a little bit more policing in that regard. Yeah. But I think I think also in 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 the kind of opposite as well. The I know something that you'd said you talked about elsewhere about things like shadow banning and um, things like that, particularly Instagram's you know kind of three strike format with um, I I guess the, the most prominent example being things like nipples or or breasts. Mm. Um, my my partner yeah um you know it's it's just people particularly photographers i follow a lot of photography accounts and all of that kind of stuff and you know the the fact that we need to censor artistic bodies um yep because algorithms and uh platforms say that 
that can't be witnessed in an artistic format um, is really annoying. So I hope that we yeah. get to a point, um, I guess, to kind of summarize in a sense that, that, that we stamp out hate as a format um, and that we allow creativity and art and uh, queerness and uh, minority voices to flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been enjoying on TikTok people posting um, either either pictures of, or I guess of transitioning of naked chests and being like, when does it get censored or mm-hmm. when does it stop getting censored? Um, that's I find just fascinating in so many levels and, and, you know, awe-inspiring that I think there are still people who hope the best for these platforms in proving a point. And I think, you know, Free the Nipple as well ties into so many other larger ideas Mm -hmm. that just sort of get absorbed into social media um, in the way that it does. Mm. I I think there is still hope for social medias to come. I think... TikTok is going through this sort of teenage phase where it is establishing what it wants to stand for and whether that is you know continuing to shadow ban and perpetuating ideas that other platforms have done or whether it as a platform and its audience decide that no we have had enough we want a platform that will do xyz for those who need this voice um and actually support the creators who are creating and making the good content and sharing that kind of work. Because it does seem to make, you know, it does make people go virals. There are elements of the algorithm that do work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think it has to decide what it wants to do soon. Yeah, um, definitely. I, th- I think as well that people, people are... Um, I guess in a positive way, finding ways to uh, escape that algorithm in a sense. I, I always find it funny when uh, I watch uh, TikToks that talk about sex, um, mm. but people will use in their, on the text that they have on the video, they will use S E double G S as like, because even. Uh, the way that TikTok, uh, I guess, polices, in a sense, uh, also includes the text that they write, um, so that talking about sex doesn't get them banned because they're typing it a certain way so that it's not recognised. Um, but I think, like, mm. finding... Even though the algorithms and platforms are doing this kind of shadow banning... Um, creators are finding ways to still create the content that is that I guess they're still fighting against that system um, mm. which is good but yeah you're, there is there is an investment and an active we will continue to yeah, make a rebellion um, I guess in a sense a rebellion and that's really exciting definitely um, is there anything else you would like to um, bring up or, or make reference to or even plug for yourself? You know, not only have, you know, yourself are involved with NSUKP, mm-hmm. but also you've been doing some other brilliant stuff 
with the Green Party, and I don't know if you want to talk yeah, a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, no, they'll probably kill me for saying that I potentially enjoy NSUKP more than uh, uh, a national uh, Holyrood elections campaign. Um, but yes, I do also uh, do a lot of voluntary stuff with the Scottish Greens. Uh, I am somehow a lower list candidate for the uh, Lothian region in the Holyrood elections, which will be in May, um, which is quite exciting, but also quite daunting. My first foray into mm. official Scottish politics. And, you know, I, I could not think of a better... I think we're still classified as young people, right? A better yes. young person <laughs> to be getting involved um, in politics, not only now, but, you know, you are so understanding, well-read and, and intelligent. So Aww. there can only be amazing change from you. Um, I guess I hope that uh, if you live in Scotland, that you uh, vote Green. Um, because that's very important. Um, the Scottish Greens uh, have great plans to change society in the elections. Uh, it's the 6th of May, so get out and vote. And also follow me on Twitter at Emmy Fruity. E-M-I-F-R-O-O-D-I-E. Well, thank you very much for being on today's thank episode. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of A2 Millennials. If you enjoyed, please leave a review or share it with your friends. If you want to be involved or have any questions, email contact at nakamedia.co.uk. Bye for now.